Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach, which means I've dedicated my entire life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the extraordinary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be alongside to help you be the best version that you can be. I'm psyched that you're here, so let's get to it. What's going on? It's Johnny King with another episode of The Johnny King Show. Uh, I'm here with my man, Rob Scott, one of my incredible favorite uh, coaches of all time that I've worked with. Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate you. Uh, dude, I'm so excited to be here. I love seeing you. I love uh, helping with this mission and all of it. I hope we can do something really cool today. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. <clears throat> so I worked with you for about a year and a half, many years yep. ago, six years ago, maybe, because I remember... Man. I remember I was moving out here. <clears throat> my brother, Pete, who you're really good friends with, was following me in my car. I had the moving van. Mm-hmm. And I remember you'd pushed me to sell like a $1,500 or $2,000 product or something like that. And I was like, oh, but I'm going mo- you know, to be moving during this time. And you're like, no, man, no excuses. Let's yeah. do this. And I yeah, remember yeah. closing two people in a single day while I was like, texting my bro like hey we got to pull off right here because i got to take some notes you know so we just pull oh, off awesome. yeah closed you know got a few thousand dollars and then pulled right back on i was like ah this is amazing dude that's killer yeah, yeah. fantastic testament, testament to your coaching but i really do believe that um, you've been one of my most favorite coaches and if anyone were to look at robscott.com your testimonials of you know amazing people yeah. raving you are it just goes on and on which is just speaks volumes for the work that you've done and the man that you are. So thank you, man. Yeah. I know you've got an amazing story that I know. I don't, yeah. uh, maybe you can interweave it throughout the conversation today versus just going. I'll do my, it. yeah, I'll do my best. Uh, do you want me to, you want me to tackle any of that sort of yeah. to give it a framing? Just uh, you give know, a little framing would be great. Yeah, I think, um, and I'm, I'm happy to share whatever amount of details you want. You know, there's a lot there. Uh, but I think people, I am, I am an effective coach, right? I do these things. I actually, if people were to check in and sort of look behind the curtain, uh, there's not a lot of fluff. Like I'm not pretending to be somebody out here and then faking somebody in here. There's a lot of authenticity and there's a lot of high level functioning like health and psychological well-being and effectiveness in business and all these different things. Right. And so you might assume looking at that, that, you know, I started off really balanced and healthy and okay and had great parenting and did all these things. And Mm -hmm. Almost nothing could be more, you know, from the truth. I mean, not to throw my parents under the bus because they did the best they could, but there was a ton of dysfunction. There was a lot of really, really uh, very horrible and graphic abuse. Uh, Somebody outside the family who babysat me all the time for years, uh, you know, physically raped me over and over and over again violently. Uh, I started drugs and alcohol at a very, very early age, like age seven, was doing very serious things, uh, became habitual you know, closer to 10, 12, you know, that range. And by teens and into 20s, I was a disaster, addicted to very heavy things and in and out of all the institutions and uh, ultimately homeless, uh, living in my car and then living without a car, uh, homeless. And then, um, you know, to really shorten the story, I had what I call a fundamental shift, which is a a deep shift in my uh, consciousness. It was like an evolution of my consciousness. And it really uh, did what I now call identity shifting, which was change my sense of self in a really deeply meaningful way. And we could certainly, you know, interweave what that means and how that might be helpful to other people. But what happened from that was I went from 
as dysfunctional as you could be, literally people dying around me, um, you know, uh, beat up by the cops and put in jail and not processed for days because they were beating me up because I'd hurt one of them. And so just, you know, real bad things. Two, vice president of technology at a company with no credentials, no college, no anything, uh, just performance-based, going from temp worker to, you know, regular worker to manager to director to VP, you know, like that rise over just a handful of years. And uh, this is back, you know, uh, when I left that to do this work was probably 2005-ish. So what I did was I started a podcast. I wanted to talk about conscious evolution. I wanted to talk about this fundamental shift that's possible that leads to feeling very differently, behaving very differently, relating to others very differently, and, and, and what's behind that. And that podcast was actually successful. I think one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was stopping that, just knowing how powerful podcasts are today, because I was years ahead of anybody who's popular now. It was easily five to seven years mm. ahead on that. And, but I, I just, that led me to coaching, right? So people all over the world started asking me for coaching that it gave me an idea of how I could help and what I could do. And so I left the corporate world, you know, a good 14 or 15 years ago to, to do this work and develop it out. And it's just been amazing. I mean, I, I'm so happy. Yeah. It's, and it's good to see you happy and thriving. And I think that's a, a probably a, resonates with a lot of guys. I, I know for myself too, where, you know, just not happy in their lives. Yeah. And um, maybe on paper, it looks good on social media. It looks good, but they're deeply alone, depressed, sad, mm-hmm. angry, all of it. Right. And yeah. I feel like I've met, uh, cause I've just been doing men's work here in Denver for the last year and a half, but man, I've had probably over a hundred coffees with guys over that. Yeah time period and, and you just start to hear the same similar stories and patterns right yeah and it's almost it's definitely in men but it's it's almost like the human condition right there's a there's a level of self that is kind of lost on this treadmill of time i'm not there yet i'm not enough i'm not rich enough i don't have the right friends my car isn't good enough my house isn't good enough the girl i date isn't good enough whatever those things are and we can't seem to resolve that it feels like we need to chase it but even if we capture the thing it's as if the goal has moved and so we don't have a very deep appreciation muscle we're not very good at you know if you think about the two dimensions of success we think it's all in the doing and it's all in the accomplishment which is very male energy right but there's this other side of that which is being that's you know can we sit in the being and be really appreciative can we feel arrived can we feel whole and complete in some sense, but balance that paradox of that and being in process of the doing, right? Mm -hmm. So how can we being and doing have mastery in both of those spaces? And some people, you know, it's the art of fulfillment and the science of success. It's, you know, all those things, but that's what that's speaking into are those two dimensions. Yeah. And I I mentioned when I hit you up for this uh, interview that I'm writing this book, Mm. just just about my own journey and and helping other guys, but it's, it's literally my thought is, you know, there's, there's three stages and correct me if you see it maybe being more than this or not as simple, but healing first, <laughs> secondarily, more science, which would be figuring out what your purpose is, which, where, where you're going to have impact. And then third would be more of the art, which would be like, but are you going to, how do you enjoy it? How do you, how are you happy and fulfilled even with the purpose and having had healing? But a lot of times guys are trying to leapfrog over the, the healing. Yeah get to doing and that's why no matter how much they achieve to your point it's never enough because they yeah. healed so <clears throat> how, how do you how have you found that balance in, in terms of the conversation about identity shifting between continuing to be driven and ambitious while still making sure that you're 
fucking enjoying your life. Yeah. So that, that is really the art. So I have, I have a tattoo here that says stillness and motion. Right. And I'll just, I'll say where that really came from. If there's a quality of mind where we can be just lost in thought and lost in time. So uh, from a subjective standpoint, time is a construct of thought, meaning that if I were to take you through a visualization, do anything, your only access to the past is through imagining about the past, right? You can't, you can't actually go there. There's nothing, there's nothing to go to. If we talk about the future and goals, all you can do is imagine a future. If you imagine a good one, it might be inspiring and toward a purpose thing. If you imagine a bad one, it might cause anxiety and, and you know, uh, get you upset or worried about something coming up. Um, you know, guilt and shame tend to live in the past. Uh, anxiety and fear tend to live in the future. And yet where we are not very good at being is in the now, in this present place, right? And so what the now is, is not actually in thought. The now is in experience. And so there's actually different parts of the brain that light up. This is a very different thing. But um, I do this through visualizations to make this deeply experiential for people. But there's a very big difference between being kind of lost in thought, not able to manage our thinking and our meaning making, to where we're either super worried about the future, super guilty and shameful about the past, super desiring about things we're imagining. And then you add in social media and all the tweets and all the alerts on our phone, and it's, it's pulling our attention and our focus, right? So your attention is actually a place, right? Your attention is either on a thought, it's, you know, in the past, it's in, in these places, and more and more and more of us are feeling that attention in kind of like all different places, which is scattered, ineffectual. We're finding it harder to like read a book and stay with something or stay on a deeper project like writing a book and, you know, get the sit down to do that for a while that's meaningful. That's a skill. That's a skill of attention. And so if your attention is all over the place, another way that this could be bad is like ruminating. So depression ends up looking like there's a certain pattern of thought that you can't get out of, right? There's a certain sadness or ennui or whatever we want to call it where you're just ruminating and you can't get over it. If a girl breaks your heart, you can get just stuck on that and you can't get over it, right? So all of this is an attention management problem, okay? The, the main move there, uh, and I have a, a free tool if anybody wants it, that, that very quickly trains you up on this difference and what to do about it is, you know, quite simply like a mindfulness practice or something. And so obviously we're hearing that from all of the people. Everybody's saying all these rock stars have this mindfulness practice. The reason that's meaningful is it's giving you this ability to leave thought and come into experience in a meaningful way, which literally grounds you to this moment. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, that's actually where joy, happiness, all the real laughs and giggles, all the fun and, and like delicious food is in the present. Mm -hmm. uh, a great sexual experience. Imagine thinking about the sexual experience while it's going on. Like, does she like this? How's that feel? Am I big enough? Is this going on? You know, all that consideration that's like lost in thought versus actually being present to it, noticing the smells, the sensations, the tingles, the feelings. That's a great sexual experience for both of you, right? But yet we get lost in this, lost in thought. So what we're trying to do, the being part of that is, do you have any meaningful access, literally on command to getting embodied, present, literally dropping thought so that you can just move your mind away from thinking and modeling, whether that be time or imagination, get into being and sensation in a way that truly is sensual and beautiful in this moment. That, that could literally be toward being uh, aware of your own physical sensation of anxiety or something that you might not like. But the suffering of anxiety is resisting what is. The what isness of it is just the tingling in your chest. So all of a sudden, now we can start to have real shortcut access to emotional management, 
overcoming anxiety and being courageous as a man, uh, feeling immediately more confident about things because we can get out of this kind of lost in thought place. So all of that is to set up that your model of like, you know, being like healing, right? So this, this healing thing is really important because we're all set up with adaptive patterns and wounds and someone hurt our heart in eighth grade, our mom consistently was mean to us or our big brother, big sister, whatever, you know, all that stuff that happens to us leaves scars. So we have to make new meaning and figure that out in, in a way that's important. Um, and then we need this capacity of being and doing. The doing first is maybe a bit of an error, uh, in my only opinion, as, as far as you're, if you're literally telling someone to do that, because we, we literally, the, the being part of the brain begins to atrophy. It becomes harder and harder to have access to that and not just be lost in thought. So the thing that is almost on autopilot missing, certainly in most men, but I would say in most humans today, is that we're captured by modeling, thinking, meaning making, and we're not aware of the place that our attention tends to go and how we get lost in that. So the first move is getting a meaningful sense of being. And here, here's what's neat about that. In a real translatable way in your life, your life right now, if you live uh, in the Western world and are not homeless and, and, you know, your life is amazing. Like it's better than Kings a few hundred years ago, right? In, in every sense of the word, it's easier, more access to medicine and all these things, yet your ability to appreciate it might be gone. So this shortcut to so much more wealth or appreciation of wealth, happiness, sustainability, all these things are literally in your life now. And so the, the, this quick fundamental shift to switch into an ability to appreciate that is enormous. And then here's what's great about the doing part. That version of you who is actually confident, has emotional mastery, can manifest, you know, uh, focus, attention, happiness, all that, that person has a different capability of what they can do, and then a different ability to do the things, right? So in our world today, we're looking at complexity at a level that's, you know, unrivaled in history, right? We're just looking at a bunch of our institutions beginning to fail, you know, who, who knows what's happening with uh, climate change, there's the monetary currency issues, you know, it's just, it's, if you look at all of it enough, you know, we're getting more and more and more to like where any one of us could create a biological threat that kills all of us, which, you know, 100 years ago, that wasn't a thing. It would take a lot of people to decide to kill everybody. But now it's getting closer and closer to like a disgruntled teenager could, you know, put together a nuclear bomb in their basement or something, right? So we're, it's getting like the, the stakes are higher and higher and more difficult. We need the capacity to adapt, which luckily is the main skill that humans have right? We were, one of your uh, things that we were talking about in your questions is like, how important is parenting? There's such a long time of us being young because we're so good at adapting. We can grow up on an ice shelf or we can grow up in the Sahara desert and we can learn how to adapt to those things. But as adults, we start to get solidified down into believing in our identity, what we can and can't do. We lose that ability to adapt and we start to get really overwhelmed by the complexity so in today's world, we really want to be able to adapt and not just survive, but we want to be able to adapt and thrive through that, right? And that comes back again to a capacity of being and doing really meaningfully. I think that's the, the, the term that I think about in my head is just emotional fitness mm -hmm. for, for men. And, and the book being about kind of becoming kings, which in my mind is just like, it's about all of us becoming, I mean, if you have that ambition to, just becoming our fullest versions of ourselves, of ourselves, 
living as abundantly as we can emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually, all those things. Um, but how do you, you know, how do you get there? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we see, we see maybe men in their sixties, seventies who are like, man, just, just the way that they carry themselves. And it's not ego. It's not like you said at the very beginning, I'm not tr- faking being one person while behind the scenes they're being something yeah. else like that to yeah. me is there's very few of them, you know, mm-hmm. out there. And I feel like there should be so many more of us men and women being Queens, that sort of thing. Right. Sure. Really sure. The conversation on men. I think that's just the challenge is, is, figuring out how to have that emotional intelligence and emotional fitness mm-hmm. yeah. when, when you might be where you were when you were in the, in the thick of pain and abuse yeah. and like how to unravel those things. I feel like is where so many guys ask me that question. Like, I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, so how do you take that guy from pain? Yeah. <laughs> to first getting those first couple of steps before, because sometimes I would think they'd maybe listen to this and just think they'd look at you and be like, how do you even get to where yeah. you can even consciously speak what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, while, while not getting overwhelmed with the whole process. So where do you even begin if you're in that place of just absolute pain and anxiety? Yeah, so, you know, something I do is called identity shifting. Uh, if we were to really oversimplify what the identity is, one way to look at it, and there's a bunch of models that we could talk about, um, but one way to look at, of it is how do you think, how do you feel, and how do you behave, okay? And so your, your choices in meaning-making, the mentality, how do you, do you have emotional mastery? Can you feel differently about things? And then how are you using those two to choose what, how you're behaving in the world? Like what that action is, right? What am I, what am I doing with my time and attention and all that? And if you meaningfully change, honestly, any one of those, you've foundationally changed all three, right? Cognitive behavioral therapy is in this field, right? It's talking about our thoughts, our emotions, and our behaviors really are this meaningful psychological structure of, of what's happening for us. So there are skills in changing how you think. Um, there's consciousness tools. There's also repatterning some of the unconscious patterns that you have, right? So those two sets of tools together can meaningfully change how you think. You're, and I don't mean what to think. This isn't like take on this belief or take on this affirmation. It is a new meaning-making or sense-making skill that anybody can get trained up on, right? It's not a high IQ thing. It's, it's anybody who can speak language and, and deal with this uh, you know, at a certain level can certainly uh, meaningfully change how their thought pattern works so that we start to have a different relationship to that mess that I was describing before. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about what emotions are, but the next level of that is if we can't manage our emotions, almost nothing else matters. And what I mean by that is if you are... Uh, first off, emotions are the whole reason that you do anything. You may think that you're doing them for other reasons, but the car that you want, you're doing that because you want to feel uh, proud and you want to be seen a certain way and you want to feel accomplished or you want to literally feel safe because you're, you know, there's motivations that are emotional that are uh, not only involved, but are probably way more the primary driver of what we're doing. That goes into socially how we want to be seen and all these things. All of those things relate to how we feel. So many of us just think, oh, my feelings are reactionary to the world, but we have a whole lot more mastery of how we can manage our own feelings, become not only resilient, but anti-fragile, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, if fragility means it'll break down under pressure, resilient means it can withstand pressure, anti-fragility actually 
grows under pressure. It gets stronger, more like a muscle would. So if you put stress on it, it doesn't just stay and not break. It actually gets bigger and stronger and more capable. We actually want to become emotionally anti-fragile so that through the darkest times, we're coming out the other side, not just okay, the same and unchanged, but adapted and better, right? And, and more capable of love and connection and, and maturity and all these different things. Uh, and that's a rare thing to find, but it's something that can be trained and understood. And I'll give a shortcut in a second. Yeah. The last part is behavior, right? Can you choose what to do and stay and do it even when it's difficult? Can you choose a new diet plan and take it on? Uh, you know, can you decide to do a big project that's scary and edgy and new and not procrastinate or self-sabotage and actually do these things, right? And then what maybe surrounds all of that is if that's you to some degree in a meaningful way, thinking, feeling, and doing, then you have to relate to all the other people. So what surrounds that whole thing is what is your relational you know, skills. Are you codependent and enmeshed? Are you distant and unable to get connected and close? Do you have confidence in relationships? Can you be a leader and a parent in meaningful ways? Can you be a brother and a son and a, all the other things in meaningful ways? Uh, can you be a good friend? Can, do you have close friendships? So those expand that, those three things that might be you and then you in relationship with other to add relationships. Those four areas have very clear skill sets and trainable things that when you change not only one of them, but all of them in meaningful ways, you're entirely a different person. Now, you don't lose your history. You don't lose who you are. It's not that you, you know, you're not still you in some sense. You, you don't get amnesia. It's not like that. But you're so meaningfully different that people around you will say, what changed? What happened? You know, mm -hmm. your body starts to get fit because you're committing to eating and physically doing things. Your money gets, goes up. Your quality of your relationships goes up. All of those things change. Um, now you were talking specifically about emotions and those are, whether we know it or not, actually what we probably care about the most. The thing that's funny is that emotions are not really just their own thing. They're actually the connection point between thinking and sensation in the body. Certain sensations in the body map to certain meaning that we're making and that's when we feel depressed or anxious or whatever. So when you, when you think about that co-riding of physical sensation, so if you remember, thought and experience is how I broke it down before. Like if you're to meditate, you could actually move your attention to just the sensation of what your breath feels like or what your left foot feels like or what your hands feel like. Your attention is there. You're not actually thinking about your taxes or the girl that broke up with you, right? So you've moved your attention to a different place. That combination that's happening in the background between a thought and a physical sensation in the body, like an anxiety or a fear, is what we start to label anxiety, fear, sadness, grief, happiness, depression, whatever. And so if you change either side of that, you've meaningfully changed the emotion. So people like Tony Robbins start to talk about state change, like get up, dance around, do these things. That changes the sensation, the somatic experience of the body, which will absolutely change the emotion, right? You can't be depressed if you're doing this and smiling, right? Because there's a, there's a sensory difference or change in you that doesn't map and pattern to depression. Right. Um, the other side of that is if you can change the meaning making of what's going on, the thought associated, I'll give you an example, car flies by you, you immediately think a certain thought like, what an ass or whatever. You get angry, right? There's a somatic body response to that. That changes. But all it takes is to then find out, oh, that guy's rushing his sick child to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you're not angry about it in the same way because the meaning of what it was totally. changed, right? Yeah. So 
we can, without learning any new information only, we can actually adjust the meaning in our own head. And just to be kind of complete, even though it might confuse it, before I was talking about moving out of thought and into experience, that is one way to change a thought. Literally just drop the meaning altogether, come into the physical sensation of the anxiety or of your breath or of anything in your body, and you will change your relationship to that emotion, which changes the emotion in that moment. Or you can move in thought to a different meaning, which is just we're meaning-making creatures, right? Mm -hmm. So if I want to make up a story like, oh, maybe he's driving a sick child to the hospital, whether it's true or not, if I accept that meaning as just a new option, I don't feel as angry. I can see an option where yeah. somebody may behave that way. Yeah. So now we're starting to gain skills of actually altering my emotional reality whenever, right? That, mm -hmm. And so there's a whole set of those to get out of feeling bad, anxious, scared, angry, upset, all those. But there's also a way to manufacture gratitude, excitement, um, you know, all of the things that are going to make you feel confident, happy, thriving, right? So those skills of manufacturing the positive and altering the negative give you what I would call a, a meaningful sense of emotional mastery mm -hmm. that is um, really tends us more toward wisdom, okay? So if, if the self is trying to process and deal with information and complexity to thrive, um, being wise is one of the main skills of that that we would want to have, which isn't a certain set of knowledge, but it's using the complexity in a way that's meaningful and uh, your own emotional mastery, your own mastery of your thinking and your own mastery of your doing leads you to be deeply effective, uh, seriously wise. You know, that's what we need out of our, at whatever age, elders that we're looking to for leadership and, mm -hmm. and guidance. No, that's, that's a hugely powerful <laughs> section right there. And I think anyone that's listening, I think hopefully uh, was able to capture all that. Yeah. But, uh, I, I feel like uh, so much of what you hit on is so true. And I was having a conversation with a buddy just the other day when we were hiking and he was like, okay, we were just talking, talking back and forth about like, okay, we have our fears, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we have our insecurities, which oftentimes are kind of one based on the other, but then we also have that thing that we want to do. Mm -hmm. It's like, I, I have so much energy to give throughout the day. What do I put my energy towards? Do I put mm -hmm. my energy into the kind of the healing of the, the pain or the whatever I'm fearful of, or do I just take action? Like you kind of were mentioning, just, just decide to maybe blast through this and maybe through that, do I gain confidence and this stuff falls away? Yeah. Does that so, actually, yeah. Like, yeah, so, so I love that. So um, each of those can be meaningful. My fear about just hanging out in the pain and looking at it is it can feel, a lot of times things that feel bad seem deeply important to us because they're so emoting. Mm -hmm. So you could have like a negative picture that's of an abusive parent in your house and you go to clutter clear and you come into that picture and it's like, this is so powerful because it's just, it's got so much emotion to it, but it's not a positive emotion. It's not a helpful emotion, mm -hmm. but, but it's, it's almost fooling us with its loudness, right? It's so mm -hmm. loud. So it tracks as important, but it's mm -hmm. not a helpful thing. So quite often because your attention is a place, if you keep putting your attention on how much fear you have, a lot of times when you go back to therapy, you start speaking into this very persistent way of being, which doesn't allow you to actually escape that way of being. It actually solidifies that way of being. And yes, you learn to know more about it. You learn to, um, uh, Alexis speaking to us as, a, as I'm talking here. Uh, so, um, you know, as 
so we don't want to over-focus on the negative. Sometimes it's just very useful to put down some of those patterns and move toward something. Now, if you see that you're repeatedly stuck, addressing it and healing is seriously important or you won't be able uh, to do the other thing. But I want to make a distinction. Um, you were talking about confidence. Confidence is actually what we have when we have full ability or, you know, this might be my circle of competency. Like what I'm competent about, I feel confident about, right? So I, I know I'm competent. I don't have any edge to it. I'm not afraid to do it. I, I'm, this is fine. That's where I feel confident. What we really want to be able to master so that we can grow is doing the things that are outside our circle of competency, the things that are a stretch for us, and those will always feel fear, right? right, right. So what we need there is more um, courage, right? The courage to do that. So what's interesting is a lot of people misunderstand what courage is, okay? When we're looking at somebody who's running into a burning building and everybody's natural instinct is to get out, we say, gosh, that guy's got so much courage, right? And, and isn't that amazing? And so what we actually think courage feels like is confidence. That guy must be just infinitely confident. He's able to shrug off the flames and run in and do this courageous act. But what uh, courage actually feels like is it feels like fear, right? Because it is fear, because courage is the action in the face of feeling fear, right? It's, it's that time when you can turn in and take an action even when you're afraid, so when you do that, when you're, you're naturally afraid, it's I'm okay being afraid. I can actually be afraid and still act, not let it keep me stuck and small, not in fact make me shrink away from things so that I get littler and littler or don't grow. My growth is an act of doing things that are new to me, that I'm a beginner at, that I'm going to have the confidence uh, and the courage to look bad at for a little while until I gain the skill, like starting a podcast or doing public talks or whatever those things are, your first turn at those are always going to be beginner level. And so having a sense of self-love and self, like an identity that's okay being what you are, when you have that, you can go through the beginner phase and get to expert because uh, there's no path to expert without that, right? So what we're really looking for there is more courage to take action in the face of fear rather than trying to not feel fear. Which I think is, is a great, uh, great answer because I feel like even for myself, I get stuck in analysis paralysis where my comfort zone tends to be, yeah, human behavior. And why am I doing this? And versus yep. just fucking go and do it, just do mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. And there's that balance between, you know, even just challenging clients or friends or myself. Like there's that balance sometimes when, and who's to say when that needs attention to kind of, unravel and when to say, you know, screw this. This is just, I'm spinning my tires in the sand and just going for getting out of that, that circle of competence, if you will, and just stretching myself, taking a little courage. So quite often the why is not as important as we think it is. You know, mm -hmm. why is a, is a, is a human only question. Uh, it's actually probably the basis of society. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a bit of a leap that's a little intellectual and probably boring for, for this conversation, if I'm honest, but it, it leads into this justification system and language and all these things. You know, when, when people came to why, uh, we started to have to have reasons why, and that started this whole thing about justifying things. And th there's a big part of this in what, how it relates to our identity. Um, but my point is, is that that analysis paralysis leaves us in a place that takes us away from the actual act of doing things that matters. You know, 
what's what's underneath psychologically before we actually broke into cultures and cared about this was what's known as behavioral investment uh, theory, which is uh, uh, at the lower level of psychology, a more root level of psychology, closer to animal level of psychology is everything that we're doing is about how we're choosing to behave. How are we choosing to invest our time and attention to do things? And humans have this luxury, especially today, to get kind of lost in that analysis paralysis, to really sit in psychotherapy forever, to just wax poetic about why, and oh, when I was 10, it hurt so bad. And so I'm not saying there's no value in that. In fact, there's a lot of value if that's effectively done in a way that can be applied to your life meaningfully. Mm -hmm. But it's so fun to do it the payoffs of like, oh, that's because mom did that when I was eight or whatever, like that gives us a hit of that's significant, that feels so big. But if that doesn't lead you to then do, it's way more important to manage your attention in a way that doesn't get lost in the thinking about that thing, right? Because it's just more thoughts, it's just more thoughts yep. and actually gets you to writing the book or building the house or going to get the food or whatever yep. the things are that really need to happen also. So our meaning making it's a it's a form it's another form of wisdom to know when am i lost in al analyzing and when is this actually you know holding me back from the doing and i would say for most of us it should be much more about the doing until you see that you're stuck because you can't do right like if you can't do and you're only analyzing you're probably uh overselling the analyzing to yourself as important when it's really not that important just go do does that make sense Totally, totally. Yeah. Which was answers uh, the question I was going to ask. Was like, well, how do you determine when to do what? You're saying, let's say, eighty percent of the time, if I were to put a number on it, just go do. Yeah. Um, and then, but um, again, I hear so much of because I've been such a fan of Tony Robbins. Like, so much of it is why power. Mm -hmm. You have to have your reasons why, and and that in my mind, I think, well, gosh, if it's if that's what he's advising, then I should probably spend a lot of time here. But you're right. At, at the end of the day, I'm like. <laughs> Sometimes I just See, it's so not, frustrated, it's not I'm power, just like, screw it. Yeah. But it's not power if it doesn't fuel the doing, Correct, right? right? So what is it power for? It's not just power to think more and to get more clarity there and to know more. It's actually to get connected. And that is a more specific why. So that's, and it might be cool to, to move the talk to like purpose and passion and how those are different and helpful because they're deeply important. So I don't want to take anything away from that why power. That's mm -hmm. meaningful. But mm -hmm. don't forget the distinction that it is to power the doing, right? It, right. Is, it is a motivational uh, framing and psychology to actually then go apply uh, and do something, get the clients, right. make that offer, close them, make the money, you know, change their lives, those kinds of things, instead of just, what's that coach offering going to be again? And why is that? And how motivated am I? And all that, you know, that becomes wasteful more quickly than we think a lot of times. Yeah, that's a good distinction. Because I do, when I do think uh, or spend a lot of time about the why, I, I am focused on that because I'm not making the progress mm -hmm. that I need to make. And I feel yeah. like, man, I need, I need greater clarity to drive me because... I'm just not feeling driven and I feel like mm -hmm. deeper reasons for why this is important so that it up and supports the, the action. But yeah. it's, uh, it's, it can be a challenge for myself and other people that I know. So some of that clarity, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Can I, can I jump on some of that? Absolutely. So I, if we talk about purpose for a second, purpose matters a lot. And a lot of my thinking in this is, is based in a guy named Martin Seligman's work who I'm in Philadelphia. He's out of the university of Pennsylvania and he's, one of the big positive psychology guys, right? And, and positive psychology, rightfully so, is taking a much more serious look these days from psychologists in general. You know, at, at its dawn, 
psychology was really, it started as fixing dysfunction and healing and taking, you know, uh, to some degree crazy and make it not crazy in, in some way. And then we started to realize there's a whole lot, and Maslow is very much in this camp as well. Yeah. There's a whole lot of like, how do we take average and make it exceptional? What does that look like, right? And it turns out that it's a whole different field of study. They're not the same. You don't map this onto this. It's a whole different uh, set of tools. And one of Martin Seligman's big uh, outcomes was that there's, there's three important uh, domains that really make a, a rich and powerful life. One is pleasure. And I don't just mean hedonistic pleasure, but the ability to, what I would say, get into that now state and actually taste your food, mm -hmm. actually go for a walk, right? Like really find joy and happiness and fulfillment and all those uh, wonderful things, which is a skill set that can be developed. The next one is passion, which is actually selfish, mean, in a, not a bad way, right? But just meaning that it's really like what lights you up and this is where we often find flow states and things like that. So one way to think about this is like when you're at the airport and you go in and there's all the magazines and you're thinking about what to get, you tend to gravitate, you know, some guys are looking at cars, some guys are looking at, at a billiard magazine, some guys are looking at, you know, uh, GQ and fashion and whatever. So like we all have our, someone, some woman's grabbing basket weaving or whatever, right? So all those things are, are what you're passionate about. And those light us up. And we tend to find flow states because we can get lost in things that we're passionate about. The third one that Martin Seligman talks about is purpose. And what's interesting is purpose is not selfish. It's actually about something bigger and, and bigger than you, like a cause that you find meaningful, that you want to actually be, that's meaningful to you to be of service to, okay? And so that's really interesting because that's an outside yourself kind of thing. And it, pro it may not actually lead to pleasure and a lot of passion in some cases, but it's meaningful to you. Think legacy, think this is an important cause. Think I want to forward the goal here. What he also points out is that of the three of those, purpose is actually the biggest, most meaningful one. Uh, if you have any one of them, you can live a pretty good life. If you have all of them, it's, it's fantastic. Um, but of them, purpose is really, really quote unquote, meaningful, right? It really changes the game for us. Now, when I do my identity shifting, the whole back end of this is to change you and then decide in a very purpose-based way, what is purpose that you're passionate about, that you can find pleasure in, that also pays you profit, right? So that you can receive healthily from, right? In a way, and that for some people that are independently wealthy or whatever, that may not be money that they're receiving, but often it is, okay? But purpose being outside yourself, one of the biggest mistakes, if we were to just dial in on that, that I see... Mm -hmm. Uh, people and certainly men make around this is that uh, they tend to think that they need to discover it almost like the seas are going to part and somebody's going to tell them, you know, totally. that, that, yep. that some divine thing is going to do this. And what we actually need is to have the agency and the sense of self that's powerful enough that we know that we actually decide our purpose. Okay. Mm. So even if it's not meaningful to you, even if it doesn't like, cause you're like, Oh, I've heard it's so powerful to get your purpose. And you'll decide on one, but it just doesn't light you up that much. And so you go, oh, that must not be it. And you stay wishy-washy. Way more important to just decide what is it and make your best decision and then decide and stay committed to that because any action toward that is going to help you refine it and change it. And you can always decide a new one, but you have to have the agency. So people that don't have confidence, that don't have a sense of self that are really established and grounded and mature and adult they won't have the confidence to know that. They'll check with other people, you know, hey buddy, hey mom, hey friend, like, do you think this is it? Should this be my purpose? What am I doing here? And what we really need is a sense of agency and confidence to actually say, I'm choosing this, this is what I'm up to. 
And sure, I may change my mind later, but for right now, my decision is made and that's what I'm doing. And that cuts away all of this noise in the world. And now we know in the doing aspect what we're here to move toward, right? Mm -hmm. And then we can plan around that and we start to do this. And some of that gets into the why question, the why power to decide that. But once that's decided, we don't have to consider that. And that's a real efficiency because the everyday get up to get reconnected to your why and what that is, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And you can spin and spin and spin. So that's why I'm saying deciding and doing really powerful. Again, if we talk male, female, that's a very male frame, right? Whatever your gender, that's sort of a masculine energy of like, I'm here to accomplish. I'm here to do, right? Totally. That needs that guidance of what's my purpose? What is the bigger cause? By the way, that cause doesn't have to be world peace. It doesn't have to be Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. level. It could be your local bowling league. But if it's bigger and outside yourself and you care about it, like you may have purpose in your life that you don't track as that. And I'll use bowling league as an example, right? Somebody may get invited to a bowling league and they don't really care about it, but then they start bowling and they realize they're passionate about bowling right? So they realize it's fun. They like to spin the ball. They like to learn. They like watching their score go up. They can lose. They find flow states doing it, right? Mm -hmm. That's all in the passion realm. Say they love it so much, they want to take a leadership role and really get into finding a group of people to join some league and they want to get the t-shirts. Now they take on a leadership role. That person could all of a sudden that becomes a purpose. Now I want this team to survive. It's bigger than me. It's not just about my passion and playing, but I'm now committed to this team that I love and I love leading, et cetera. So now all of a sudden purpose can go in there. And if they don't lose the passion for playing, now you have purpose and passion starting to line up. Mm -hmm. If they do it well enough and it's serious enough, maybe they could get paid, right? And if they can find pleasure in, in some of those things as well, then you start to get really lined up at a very low level, you know, mm -hmm. as far as big causes in the world. But that's mm -hmm. how on an individual level, you can very quickly align and get clarity on what matters to you, et cetera. Yeah, I think a lot of guys, again, over the last year and a half that I've spoken to, they struggle with not knowing where they're headed in life, uh, lack of, you know, direction and clarity, and they're just confused a lot. So can I say it's not, it's not not knowing, it's not deciding. It's not deciding. So that knowing part means I, I, nobody's told me yet, or I haven't learned it somewhere, or I haven't, I haven't discovered, discovered it. discovered it, yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know yet. It's still like elusive. Well, you decide today, right now, you pick it. What is it? I don't care if it's the worst one ever, but plant a flag. Here's a, a, a silly little metaphor. Let's say I'm in a sailboat in the middle of a lake and the wind's blowing, but boat's not pointed in the right direction. I don't want to raise the sail because it'll take me further away from where I think I want to go or whatever. What if I don't even decide where to go, right? We have to decide where we want to go. And then we put up the sail no matter which way we're going, because once we're in motion, now we can start to tack and move. And with that motion, we can make adjustments and change. And if we get closer to where we thought we wanted to go, even if we decide we want to go somewhere else, now we know how to move. We've gained the ability to sail and move things. And so now we can move. So it's about beginning by just planting a flag right? And there's not no process to this, but you know, you've probably been working on the process enough where it's time to go, what's most important, cut away the noise, make it reasonable and realistic. You know, big is great, but if you're not good at achieving, make it realistic first, mm -hmm. actually get some things under your belt. Because if we're playing a game where we're constantly moving the goalposts on ourselves, or we're constantly not really showing up and getting things done, we start to lose self-respect in a way that is deeply important. But if instead we don't try to do everything, but we just say, I've got these three things I'm going to do today. 
when you really do them, you start to gain trust and clarity and confidence in yourself because you know what you say you're going to do, you'll actually do. When other people start to know you as somebody who can actually do what you say you're going to do, even if you say no a lot, that actually raises their respect for you because they go, this guy's going to hold appropriate boundaries and what he does say he's going to do, he does on time and well, you know, 99% of the time, this is a solid, like that sets you above you know, almost everybody else in the world just showing up that way. Mm. And that's very doable, but that's in the muscle and having the agency to decide what matters, having the ability to focus on it, right? Mm. Through your thinking and your attention, and then in your doing, show up to get whatever done and be okay with the failures along the way, which is another self-confidence and, and, and self thing. It's a huge distinction just because to, to your point, by, by thinking you have to discover it or waiting for people. I mean, again, it's kind of such a passive approach towards finding your purpose because it, to me, that's probably why I've stayed in such confusion for a lot of my life because mm. it's not really being at the, the helm of my own yeah. <laughs> ship, you know, versus like you said, just choosing. Yep. Like, yeah, just choose and then know that it's going gonna, it's gonna to change as it has a ton for my- Think about my that life. positional difference in your sense of self, in your identity, right? Mm-hmm. One is- I'm unmoored, I don't know, and I'm, I'm not at will or I don't have the agency to choose it. I'm still waiting to be told or be discovered. It's very childlike in a sense, yes, right? Yes, yep, the true. other is ownership of this is my consciousness, this is my life, this is my world, and in that I'm going to choose what matters to me. That's an agentic whole, whole nother level of being, right? Just that shift is an enormous change. Uh, that's deeply important. And you'll notice that people who have psychological issues in attention, in confidence, in sense of self, in bad patterns, unconscious, they are the ones who are like, but I could never do that, right? Like that wouldn't be okay with my partner or that would put me at risk of like my family not liking me because then I'd be opinionated or I'd, what, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it ends up being this glass ceiling that people feel like they can't get through, but there's actually nothing there. And all you have to do is actually step into it and do it and it immediately feels better. It's an immediately different way to be when you can own that agency and make that decision. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty pretty cool distinction, um, which I really appreciate. And I do feel like, uh, that that's going to make a huge difference just in any guy that's going to listen to this and yeah. understand that there's, that's massively a, a completely different expression of masculinity than mm-hmm. to kind of be sitting around waiting for someone to tell them what they should be doing. Yeah. Life, you know? Yeah, totally. So what do you feel like are some of the, the bigger challenges that men are up against just in day-to-day life that we're living right now? Well, I would say that uh, everyone's facing a lot of challenges. You know, we were pointing to the, the growing level of complexity uh, that social media and the internet, that globalization, that all, the, all of the challenges, right? We're all facing a lot. Uh, I think um, really healthy self, I mean, obviously I care deeply about changing identities and, and helping people kind of shift and grow. Um, but one of the core things there, one of the wisdom tools that I might talk about is sense making, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're really losing our ability to know who to trust. You know, we're watching this in political division. We're watching this in all these things. It's like, yeah. how, how do you, 
how do you even believe the news anymore, right? Totally like it, with all the clickbait stuff and, you know, we end up in these uh, silos online where we're only listening to people that kind of agree with us, which are creating these echo chambers. And so it's, and then you can't believe that other people believe different things. But if you were in their echo chamber, you'd probably believe it like they oh. do. And so it's just, it's chaos, right? <clears throat> so that's absolutely a huge sense making, right? A way oh. to clarify, turning off thought, getting into experience, slowing down the information and the relating to it so that we can make wise authoring choices instead of being ping-ponged around. So if we can't change our thought and don't have that focus of our attention in a meaningful way, then every new thing is like a distraction, right? Every email, every alert on the phone, it, it pulls me. I have to rethink what I'm doing, right? So we're losing agency in that. And I very much become a follower I'm following opinions and news things and I, I have to do this and, oh, and it feels more and more complex and more and more whatever. Being able to manage that noise, which is that same shift of um, agency and authority into, I don't have to consume everything. I can shut this off. There's a meaningful relationship to news that's important. And after that, I can cut it off because I can manage my attention and realize, yeah, I'll take in news this half hour at the end of the day or the beginning. And then if there's a big bomb that goes off, someone will let me know. I don't have yeah. to stay on Twitter in the, in the dumpster fire of the arguments all day, right? Mm -hmm. um, I can turn off notifications on my phone. I can decide to have a one minute a day practice of mindfulness so that I'm working with my attention, right? Like I can start to have agency where I can manage that. That leads to the ability to do sense-making and meaning-making in a much more useful thing where we're choosing what matters, showing up for it, all the things that we've already talked about. Uh, but I, I think that those are challenges that everyone is facing. And if we talk about uh, masculine versus feminine, you know, not to get into a, a, a big gender com conflicting, you know, upsetting thing for anybody out there, but, um, you know, on a biological level, a, a male is different than a female, and that goes to the whole evolutionary impulse of everything. So those are uh, different chromosomally and in their bodies and all those things in all species that I know of. Um, but if we talk about masculine and feminine, all of us, male or female, have those impulses. So if we talk about useful differences between those, the man is very much, you know, doing. Uh, the female might be more being, right? Uh, the man is more quiet action and, you know, sniper, hunter, like stealth and singular doing. The female is more uh, communal and talking, right? The man is more get it done. The woman is more hold space. The man is more maybe, I should be saying masculine versus feminine because it's not man and woman. These are, these are impulses that everybody's capable of. You know, women have both sides, men have both sides. And often it's better to take on the being or the feminine in the man to actually be more well-rounded and whole. Oh. Emotional skills are often more feminine than they are masculine, et cetera. Um, but the, the man with that cutting energy and effectiveness, um, but that, that leads to being alone quite more often. You know, it's not right. as communal, right? Whereas women are more uh, chatty, talky, uh, but communal and holding space, right? One is holding space, one is cutting through space. One is maybe building, one is more maintaining, mm. right? So one, one statement that I like, to innovate and build a cup is one thing, but then you have to wash it a thousand times, right? So we don't honor in our culture and in our work very often the maintenance tasks that it takes just to keep your room clean, right? The Jordan Petersons of the world talk about literally just keeping your room clean effectively is, is an important task. And if you're good at that, that means you're capable at a certain level to maybe take on more in the world. And yet we hear from a lot of people who can't even clean their own room, i.e. young people and kids, how we should run the whole government, right? But they don't have any sense of 
real mastery of a, an agency over what they do control. Um, so again, one of the challenges we're facing, there's a lot, but one of the ways out of this is um, this concept that's big in the military of there's, there's areas of concern in my life, right? Which could be all over the place, right? All the news, all the global challenges, all the heart stuff that hurts, all the relationship things. Like there's so many places my attention could be, and that's a huge circle, you know, approaching infinite places that my attention could be. A much smaller circle inside that is my area of control, right? What do I have control over? Well, you know, a pandemic hits, I don't control what that pandemic is or is not going to do globally, but I do control, you know, can I get food? Um, can I learn to cook for myself instead of going to restaurants? Can I get a mask? Like whatever those things are that are within my control, that simplifies and slows down and actually gives me useful things to think about. So one of the challenges is managing our attention in that chaos and coming to a more useful thing. Uh, and as far as, you know, the masculine, just being more effective and having the agency and the sense of self that can do that accomplishment and doing uh, while learning that feminine side of being and, uh, and, and pleasure and happiness and, and, uh, and the, the pause as well. Mm, absolutely. I, I, I'm grateful just because I've been on this journey for 10 years, but having gone through the pandemic, not to say that I haven't had my struggles because I certainly have, but I have had certain buddies reach out to me and say like, have you been struggling at all? Mm. Like, uh, if you've gotten the impression that I haven't been struggling, then I've not been you know, transparent enough. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've certainly been struggling. However, because of going back to the, the three P's, you know, um, purpose, passion, pleasure, and, pleasure. and yep. Yep. <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of those that I can see where I've been doing the work long before COVID, but mm -hmm. now it's just like, yeah, kind of the, it, it, I had moments where I was looking outside and I was like, it's weird to be sitting here and, and look out. And, and at one point I can think, nothing's changed in the world. I, yeah. I, my view is the same out the window. Yeah. Yet I could also think there's a virus just on the other side of this window and I could be freaking out. Either way I look at it, I was like, I still got shit to do. Mm -hmm. So I got to get back to work. And I've just been for the most part, just plugging away. And I feel like some of these guys were like, how, how do you have that ability to, to be pursuing something I'm like, well, it's been a long time that I've been working on it. So, so don't compare yourself against me per se. Yeah. But it, it, it is one of those things where <clears throat> COVID is a great example of where, you know, we're seeing either relationships break down or get stronger, right? Mm -hmm. Or yeah. people get a lot of shit done or we're, you know, our, our chinks in our armor are becoming more and more uh, clear, coming, rising to the surface. You know, yeah, we can't totally. hide behind all yeah. the things that we were hiding behind, you know? Yeah. How have you dealt just with COVID and, and with business and relationships and everything like that? Just because someone could look at you and be like, oh, he's got all his shit together, but I'm sure we're all human and have our challenges. Well, but. it's really funny because, I mean, you know, emotionally and, and, and psychically uh, amazing, uh, I got really sick uh, March into April and uh, blew out my back, couldn't walk. So I, I live alone, ran out of food, um, ended up having, I was peeing blood. I was actually at, uh, uh, I was with your brother away and I started to notice that I was peeing blood that went on for about eight weeks. And that was ultimately me passing like an enormous stone, you know, the size of, of, of my finger um, that was, you know, I had a kidney stone that was, that was going on. So uh, I thought I had COVID. I didn't want to go to the emergency room uh, because I didn't want to give it to anyone. I live alone. So I was like, let me just shore up. I ended up losing, I, I had no food for 
like four or five days. I mean, I was just dealing with that. Uh, and through all that, you can decide to be resilient and happy and anti-fragile and, and get okay. stronger. Uh, what's funny is that led to me losing a lot of weight. Fasting like that, you pretty quickly lose weight. I, I had a flu. It turns out it wasn't COVID, but I, I definitely had a flu during that time. And um, it ended up leading me to, I've been obviously cooking for myself and doing all these things. So no restaurants, cooking for myself, really take care of myself. I'm down like 20, 25 pounds. I'm like lean and mean, feeling great. And uh, totally rebranding my business and, and rebuilding things and, and uh, just thriving in all the ways. And it can be really horrible, but your relationship to horrible, like you don't have to suffer, right? So maybe one little nugget before, before we wrap up, yep. uh, and I don't mean to just keep talking, but um, suffering is resisting what is. That is, if we have... Uh, psychological, emotional, physical suffering, all of that is there is an arising of isness. Something is happening. You've got an emotional feeling here. You've got a physical pain in your back. Um, you know, whatever's going on, you've been broken up with or something. It's that might be pain, right? I might have a physical pain in my arm, which is literally, you know, nerve impulses causing a reaction in my body that we're calling pain. But my psychological suffering from that is how much of that I'm not willing to accept, okay? So as much as I don't want that to be, that's where my suffering meter starts to grow, okay? So if I can't deal with it at all, someone punches me in the arm and I'm like, no, that's horrible. I'm suffering hugely. But a Marine who gets punched in the arm might be like, yeah, I like it, like bring more, right? So our relationship to the pain in our arm can change based on the meaning that we're making. So again, these thought tools of how are we managing what an emotion means to us, what a physical sensation means. So as my back is blown out and I'm passing a stone and I have the flu and I haven't eaten in days, right? Yeah. There's a lot of pain there, yeah. but there didn't have to be any suffering. So, you know, one of my big missions is to, you know, end, and maybe, maybe you know, I'd like to say end suffering on planet earth, but we're going to dip in and out of some form of suffering. So what, I, what I'd like to say is it's an okay psychological response to resist it for a moment, but we can manage that to really just be with what is literally in a non-dual state of awareness, like a, an enlightened state of awareness where we don't have to suffer. And that is a, again, a tool that's teachable that we can, we can share with people that um, helps them escape suffering, certainly lower it, right? It may come back on autopilot in some way, but you can manage that. And as you do that, even the worst things that happen to you become very survivable. Uh, you can thrive through them and uh, it becomes, you know, kind of shocking uh, what's possible even under the worst circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think about suffering as like that massive obsession about oneself and mm -hmm. that's where a lot of these guys are they're just so focused on themselves and and understandably it's pretty tough to to not look yeah if they were in a situation like you i mean that's ridiculous you know yeah. starving being blood all those things it's like i can understand and yet that is where that's the difference between people who come into the gym and they suffer through their workout. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be there and this is stupid and this hurts. And you know, the trainer doesn't understand them versus the guy that's over there in just as much pain, if not more. 
and he's loving it and thriving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stronger and and just feeling like it just makes his day incredible. Right. Well, I was talking, I was talking about my branding with your brother and we're, we're he's like, you know, he's like, Rob, you're, you're the comeback kid. And so we're talking about this skill of adapting and thriving. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming up even with just t-shirts and like, just Mm -hmm. like, cause that's, that's really the internal thing where when you're at your worst, you're in the fire, you're deeply malleable to change there where it's the worst, you know, it's, it's all horrible. Like that's when you can take on new attitudes, new behaviors, new things. Right. So instead of hating that, actually looking at that and going, this is my moment. This is when it's time to adapt and thrive. Right. And if we think about tons of people like Steve jobs gets fired from the company that he started, you know, and, and he could have fallen and then his next business fails too. And then all this stuff, but then he thrives. Right. Uh, you know, uh, who else, right? There, there's all these stories of people who just sort of fall off and have, have this falling from grace and it's horrible and then they thrive, right? Colonel Sanders, you know, with, with KFC got uh, turned away. Bill Gates had a failed company before he started Microsoft. Like there's yeah. just, there's all these stories of this thriving, but not everybody makes it, right? Robin Williams hit bottom and didn't make it. Anthony Bourdain hit bottom and didn't make it. So what is that difference that is that change in us, that agentic change where we say, not today, mother, uh-huh. you know, I'm not, you're not getting me today. I'm going to adapt and I'm going to thrive here. And that is at its core in a sense of self. But to your point, if we get too focused on self, we get too egoic and self-referential. Now we don't have the ability to be in relationship with other, right? So there's three levels of self that really matter. One is self-mastery. And if mm-hmm. it, that can mean a lot of things. But what I mean by it, just to give us a pointer, is can you do the hard, important thing, even though it's not comfortable in this moment? So you've yep. chosen a new diet. You don't want to do it. But self-mastery would look like I can eat this way because I decided to. So I have yep. some mastery over myself and my own impulses, right? Mm-hmm. Then we want to use that self-mastery to actualize, to have self-actualization across the lines that matter the most to us. We can't actualize in every direction to expert, but we can pick three to five to maybe 10 things where I'm going to rock this business. I'm going to be an amazing parent and husband. I'm going to be a killer you know, friend. I'm going to care about this cause, whatever those are, and really actualize along those. But that requires self-mastery. At the highest level, we actually want a capacity to transcend self as well, okay? So transcend self starts to sound only spiritual and only magical, but I'll give you what the very first level of it is. You can't even have a conversation if you can't put down yourself in the moment to model and listen fully to what the other person is saying. If all you're doing is thinking about what to say back and you're modeling your stuff, you're not even listening well, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one level of transcending self. Another one is what so many people are interested in today, which are flow states, right? If you can get captured by the passion of what you're doing in the moment, you start to have these flow states. Well, that's transcending self because you're not self-referential in that moment. You're just in the task, right? Mm -hmm. Beyond that, you start to get into gratitude where you're so thankful that moves into like awe and wonder and these things that do tend to feel more spiritually arrived or whatever. But that is when we can get into these meaningful states of transcending self where we're no longer self-referential, but we're uh, in the world in a new way. When you have self-mastery, self-actualization and self-transcendence, you're this just very different level of human being. And they build on each other because you can't they, have one without the previous, correct? They do. You can transcend self without some form of self-mastery, right? So, so that's a little bit different move, but you're not going to actualize very well unless you have self-mastery. Yeah. So uh, they're all linked healthily. Uh, you can focus on all of them at the same time. They don't have to go. There's not like a certain level of self-mastery. What's interesting about self-mastery is even just a little bit of a change in it 
is like exponentially valuable to you. So yeah. people feel like I'm never going to be perfect at it. Fine. Nobody else is either. But the little bit better that you are, not only does it become easier to get better past that, but that little bit goes a long way. Like it does a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, each of these 1% changes, you know, as we know, really leads to a different thing. So even if you only do it in your diet or only do it in your sleeping or only do it in your commitment to sales calls or whatever it might be, any one of those creates a huge difference. And then what that does to your self-confidence and what that does to your ability to go, oh, that was valuable. Let me do it again in different ways. Now, all of a sudden, you become a really different person. Then clarity on where you want to actualize and real planning and real goals and real doing skills. Now you start to get the benefits of incredible relationships, lots of money from your business, all those mm -hmm. types of things. Mm -hmm. And then transcendence is this other skill that's more related to uh, happiness, fulfillment, presence, relating to others, and a whole lot of other skills that are deeply important as well. Yeah, I think it speaks to the, the, the compound effects. I mean, the, the book, but also just the the premise, right? Where yeah. so people want to make these massive changes and, you know, whatever, whatever, in such a short amount of time. And yet, if you just did that 1%, it, it is game that it, That's the only way to do it. You have right. to do the one thing in front of you, right? right? That's the only way to do it. And so right. a lot of people who are lost in that one big move, it's going to be this thing. You're, there's no, you can't get there from here. It's in right. these, it's in these small steps forward that big things actually happen over time, right? So, uh, get good at that small step that's right in front of you that yeah. is, you know, what you decided to do that's actually important. One other little thing, self can be kind of sliced up in so many ways, right? We have this immediate gratification muscle yep. Yep. and we have this delayed gratification muscle. And so yep. self-mastery really is tending toward just occasionally, whenever you can, honoring that delayed gratification muscle, which if you think in the sense of self is, one is honoring your future self mm -hmm. and one is honoring your now self. Now I have now tattooed here since I was 19, right? Mm -hmm. Access to now and presence and being is deeply important because that's in that attentional thought versus experience space. Mm -hmm. But if we're gluttonous about now, if we're all about this, that leads toward addiction and deep dysfunction in all these ways, right? Mm -hmm. So in what way can we understand what now is and have a different relationship to time and thought, okay? But also, how can we honor future self in a way that's meaningful in our doing so that we're actually building a savings account? We're actually working out and eating right so that this summer we can really have a body we like. That we're, yeah. you know, all of those things that yeah. uh, we, we can't actually live a meaningful life over time unless we can manage that impulse. And so, all addiction is getting caught in some hyper stimulus that puts us out of balance and gets us like addicted to whether it's drinking or drugging or sugar or, you know, uh, the processed foods that are just so easy and, and tasty to consume. Um, but yet if you do make that decision to do broccoli instead of the junk, eventually broccoli can be really, really delicious. Right. Yep. But in, in that moment, what's needed is some self mastery to make that first choice and do the difficult thing in this moment. Mm. And, that's what builds self-respect and you becoming the kind of human that's going to really make a difference for yourself and everyone else. I love it. One last thing I, you know, you mentioned the, again, the, the pleasure piece. And I feel like when it comes to addictions and so many, you know, men and women alike are, you know, if they've got an addiction to some type of substance, I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's a pursuit of, of uh, pleasure, right? Pleasure yeah. that's outside of them versus seeking, happiness or fulfillment that comes from within, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's always looking for that next hit of pleasure, you know? And so you say pleasure and there's a part of my brain that kind of like short circuits. I'm like, but is that 
what we're really yeah. pursuing or is it happiness or is it fulfillment or is it just all, you know? So it's not goals. about, it's not about pursuing. So what addiction actually is, all right. Uh, addiction is suffering. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's put it on a line, right over here. We're going to have addiction and over here, we're going to have enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and like ultimate happiness addiction. And by the way, these are not absolutes. Like one of the biggest mistakes of things like Buddhism and all these is, is painting a picture of this permanent, uh, blissful forever kind of state, right? These are, these are states. You want to tend toward this. If you find you're moving here, you want to move back, right? Yeah. These are at, like everything. It's a process. Your identity is a process. None of these things are fixed, right? We're all in, in flow of just dealing with what is all the time. Yep. So, but we can move more and more and more this way. Okay. But addiction actually is pain that has gotten patterned to find something that can take away that pain you pretend it's pleasure, but it's actually not pleasure. Like I've been addicted to all the heavy things, right? So crack cocaine, when you actually get addicted to it, uh, comes down to like a flavor. It's not even, it's, it's a craving. Like the, the loudest thing going on for you in that is a deep craving and a sense of lack that becomes louder and louder and louder and more and more difficult to deal with so that you need this thing mm. takes over the whole dopamine system in the brain and it just co-ops your whole being to like, I have to have that. There's no pleasure involved anymore. Mm. And actually without the thing that can maybe ease you for a second, right, is what it gets down to. It's very, very short-lived, any kind of equilibrium found, you're immediately back into pain as soon as it's gone, um, is craving and pain, etc. Whereas on the other end, enlightenment means that every step is filled with fulfillment and pleasure, right? Every step on the ground is beautiful. Every looking at a flower, even a punch in the arm is another sensation to be experienced and enjoyed, right? This is, this is, there's no pain here. There's extreme pain here, okay? So the mistake of addiction is taking something that sets the system off, right? Deeply puts us out of balance. And when it goes away, now pain is there. And so I get into a really bad pattern of trying to chase what I think is going to make me feel better. But to get out of addiction, the real wake up is you have to stop doing that thing to find balance again, or there will never be health and happiness and pleasure. So there's no pleasure in addiction. That is not what we're doing. Now, the lesser versions that like, yeah, I just love sitting on the couch and eating the cheese puffs or whatever, right? That's a hedonistic type pleasure that, that if you actually asked them and they were really to rate how much pleasure that gave them, the little bit of mouth pleasure that they're getting in the moment usually comes with a ton of guilt and hating their body the next day and all that. So when you average that out, that's not very pleasurable either, but the companies and the marketing and the, the habit and the ease of buying it and where it is in the store, all that is set up so that we get addicted because many, many companies are trying because for their bottom line and the infinite growth curve that our capitalism makes us feel, feed into, how can we make this addictive? How can we make Facebook addictive? How can we make these foods addictive, right? There's literally scientists working on this. So that's what we're up against, right? If we go back to like, what are we up against? That's another part of this. And so that information ecology of like the dings from Twitter and the alerts and the, all that social media is doing to us, that is all trying to gamify and become addictive so that you're sitting there trying to get peptides to fire as you're, am I getting attention? How many likes did I get? What's happening? What did Steve say? Do I need to learn something? Is there something on YouTube? And we get lost in that and it becomes very compulsive and uh, more and more and more toward addictive. Mm. There's so many more questions that obviously pop up as I, I mean, we could keep talking, but um, I want to be thoughtful of your time, but this is so good. Thank you. Dude, 
Amazing. I love it, man. I'm happy to come back. You know, maybe we do it another time. So well, yeah. even just, just addiction in and of itself is a, is a great conversation that we could probably talk. For I, I've got a couple things to say about it. I got, I've, yeah. I'm, I'm 16 and a half years, uh, you know, clean and sober now. And, uh, and just had a, had a ride from the very earliest of days with that. It's and, amazing. you know, can, can speak to quite a bit of what's going on with that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've got a lot of guys here, at least in the community that are struggling. So maybe, mm-hmm. we, uh, maybe we, talk about that offline but uh, i'd love it yeah thank you again so much for sharing with with the listeners and everyone else so thank you my pleasure brother thank you awesome Awesome. all right well take care everyone and uh looking forward to catching up with you on the next episode but if you would like to get in touch with rob robscott.com correct that's right yep Mm mm-hmm and uh, feel free to hit him up or are you on social media? You probably, you're on uh, TikTok a lot, doing a lot of dancing. <laughs> that's, that's my main focus is, is getting all the TikTok dances down. No, all my, all my social accounts that matter are at robscott.com. And honestly, if anybody's also interested in identity shifting specifically, they can go to identityshifting.com as well. Yeah, because you said you had a, a free tool that they can jump into. Correct? Yeah, there's back to breath tools. So once you're on robscott.com, you can look for back to breath and there's a way to sign up for that. And uh, yeah, certainly just reach out, say hi, and uh, I'm happy to work with anybody who needs it. Beautiful. Thank you, brother. All right, everyone. Take care. Enjoy the day. And I want to thank you so much for listening to The Johnny King Show. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, please subscribe to the show, share it on your favorite social platform, and then tag me in it so I can say hi. It would also mean the world to me if you wrote a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Do you feel like there's something I could be doing better? Awesome. I totally thrive on constructive feedback and it's always welcome. So if you've got questions or concerns, you can always reach me via email at podcast at johnnyking.com. And then please follow me on Instagram at johnnyking, facebook.com backslash johnnykingmenscoach on my YouTube channel and LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been amazing. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care.